The room is heavily weighted on this side over here. <laughs> All right. Today we are continuing through our journey through the letter of Galatians. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 3 and uh, looking uh, at this uh, passage today. And the issue that's a question, and we're just going to dive right into it today, is this question of righteousness. How is a person made right in their relationship with God? That's usually what, that's what we mean when we talk about being righteous. Do you have this, this relationship with God that is considered right, uh, correct, however you want to talk about it, pure, holy? And the question that Paul puts out in the, the letter of Galatians is, is this relationship of righteousness with God made possible through faith in a promise that God has made? Or is it made possible through following a law that God has given? Or is it some combination of both? What is it? And I know for most of us, again, this question, which deals very much with the law of Moses, can seem a little bit, I don't want to say irrelevant to us, but a lot of us has, have not grown up under the law of Moses. Not many of us grew up Jewish uh, and under, under the law. So sometimes when the Apostle Paul argues these things, specifically from the point of view of the law of Moses, it can seem a little bit uh, distant from us. But... As a young believer, I think many of us hear certain phrases within our faith that, that we sort of put on a shelf because it's a little bit hard to understand. And one of the phrases that you've probably heard growing up as a Christian, or if you're new to the faith, you'll hear it at some point, will be something along the lines of, we're no longer, we don't need the law anymore. And we're no longer under the law anymore. And they'll just kind of throw out this phrase, right? We don't need the law. We're not under the law but there's not a lot of explanation as to why that is. How did we get to this point from needing the law to not needing the law? What was the journey? Because this is one of the problems I think that Christianity has in trying to explain itself to the world is we don't really even understand ourselves as Christians what it, the journey of our own faith, how Christianity comes out of Judaism and how it forms and how we answer these questions when we just throw out these phrases like, we're not under the law anymore. What does that mean? Why is that important to us? And the scripture talks about it. And that's what we're going through in the book of Galatians. And it's a very important thing to understand. Because, again, as I said, Christianity forms within Judaism. Most of us know this. It forms within Judaism. Jesus was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. They used to go to the synagogue. The apostle Paul still goes to the synagogues as he's, as he's traveling around. It's, very, it's formed within Judaism. But then it begins to emerge from Judaism as something different. And the thing that makes it different is understanding who the person of Jesus Christ is. And if we understand the person of Jesus Christ as the very word of God made flesh, the character and nature of God among us, then his actions and his teachings and everything about his life takes on a heavier weight of importance than just another prophet or just another teacher. And when Jesus says things like, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except by me, this takes on a, a particularly deep and powerful meaning because 
This isn't just some guy talking. This is the word of God made flesh, bringing us to a place of understanding as to who he is, who we are, and who the Father is. And we have to understand him and follow him if we are going to be recipients of what it is that he is offering. And what he offers us is forgiveness. He becomes sin for us as the, as the example of perfect humanity. He takes upon our sin and pays the price so that we don't have to. <clears throat> and his resurrection is the vindication that he is indeed the victor over sin and death. This is what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 means when it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This whole idea is summed up. And like for many of you here, this isn't a radical teaching, especially if you grew up in Bible teaching churches, that Jesus is the way. But have no doubt in your mind, this is a radical departure from traditional Judaism. Because traditional Judaism taught that one is made righteous and one expresses their love for God and one expresses that they have a desire to follow God by keeping the law of Moses. And in fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, which I did several years ago, and you go to where the temple was, you'll see lots of people praying around. It's really the foundation wall of the temple. It's not the wall of the temple itself. But it's the, uh, the kind of terraced, uh, King Herod terraced out that whole mountain there. And if you ask a Jewish person there, what is it that you're, you know, what does the law of Moses mean to you? If you get one that's willing to talk with you, you'll hear something like that we follow the law of Moses as a way of showing God that we love God, that we want to be, main, we want to be obedient to God. And in fact, a lot of modern-day Jews who are more conservative or orthodox, they see that following the law is what will keep them safe from being punished again, like they were punished by the Babylonians, like they were punished through the great diaspora. It will keep them safe. And to walk away from that law is to walk into danger. To walk away from that law is to walk away from love. To walk away from that law is to walk away from obedience. And so when we come as Christians and we say, you don't need the law anymore, that sounds to them like it's just nonsense and even dangerous to them, that we're putting them in danger. So what is it about Christianity? I'm going to tell you some stuff just ahead of time so you can kind of understand a little bit what Paul is saying here. The way that the Bible teaches the, the, the path of humanity is this. There is many tribes, many empires, many you know, kingdoms in the world. But there's one whom God chooses as an example people. And he chooses an example people who are, all, who are not, really, they're not really a people when he chooses them. They're one person, Abraham. And he says... He is going to make this one person a great person. And from this one person, all nations are going to be blessed. And in fact, he chooses a guy that even has difficulty having a biological offspring of his own. He starts out with this people group that begins in a place of impossibility. And he builds them up. And if you've ever thought about it, it's interesting that the Bible has this story of the nation of Israel when really Israel is a fairly small nation. It never is the dominant nation within its own history and its own timeline. Egypt is by far the older, much more dominant kingdom and nation and empire. Even to this day, Egypt is the longest continually existing 
civilization that we, we know of so far. And yet, God chooses this group, and they're small, and they seem to be dominated by the people around them. They end up going into slavery that, uh, by, in, in Egypt. They come out of that. The only way they escape is through the hand of God. And God sets them apart as a unique people. And in their uniqueness, he gives them special dietary laws. He gives them special laws about what they can wear. He gives them special laws about, about what days they are to celebrate. So that they are set apart and seen by the world as unique. And their role in history is to be and we have their history in this Bible that continues to stay within our hands, even though this is a story that took place thousands of years ago. It's a story of a people who have this back and forth with God. And we see in the history of Israel, the history of humanity, that even though they're in the presence of God, they have a unique revelation of God. They still don't really walk righteously with God. Even though they have revealed to them all these unique things, unique laws, unique Understanding the, the personality and the heart of God in a unique way. It's not like other nations didn't worship. They did worship. But God, God chooses the people of Israel to be the one that we have their story. And we follow their story along. And at the end of their story, as it reaches this apex point of history, it is the revelation of the Messiah. Jesus comes. And that is the whole point. The law is guiding the people of Israel to the point where... The Messiah is revealed to them and they understand that they cannot ever make themselves righteous by a law, that they need a Messiah. But this Messiah is more than just for the Jews. He's also for the non-Jews because you don't have to follow rules to embrace the Messiah. The Messiah is embraced through relationship. The Messiah is embraced through love. The Messiah is embraced through faith. And this is why that even in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, which we've looked at over the last couple of weeks a couple of times, and Amos, they talk about that, the, that this Messiah is going to also be for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And this is the good news. When we talk about the gospel, this is the good news of Christ, that the Messiah has come, and that by trusting who he is, by being in relationship with him, we can have this righteousness given to us by God. And while that sounds great, and I am 100% behind that, I think we need to understand that in the time when this book of Galatians, this letter to the Galatians is being written, and in the early church, this good news was seen as threatening to Judaism. It was a threat to them. And why is it a threat? Because it's essentially saying that the law of Moses has reached its honorable retirement. That the law of Moses is no longer necessary. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I did come to fulfill the law. And once the law is fulfilled, it has served its purpose. And it is honorably retired. And there's some folks who don't want this. They don't want it honorably retired. And they fight back. And they think that this is a dangerous path. And this becomes the battle that we see in the early church. 
And if you want to see, read the origin story of how the churches get established in this region of Galatia, you can look at Acts chapter 14. We went through that in the Bible study this last Thursday. That's kind of the origin story. Acts chapter 14 is the story of Paul and Barnabas going into Galatia and planting the churches in that region. And they run into very different challenges. One place they run into a very strenuous and, and deeply entrenched Judaism that doesn't want to hear that the law needs to be honorably retired. And then they go to another town where they run into very deeply entrenched paganism, so deep that Paul and Barnabas are regarded as gods, as Zeus and Hermes, and they want to make sacrifices to them. I mean, they're all, it's all over the place. They have deep Judaism, deep paganism. But the, the message they're bringing is the same, is that by faith in the person of Jesus Christ, you can be made righteous. And so this is what is talked about in Galatians. We went through this last week. It says, The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So that's the good news. All nations, Jewish and non-Jewish. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we're going to pick up now where we left off last week. And, and the Apostle Paul makes this argument, and it's kind of a legal argument. He makes it a very, uh, it's a, uh, I don't want to sound like a heretic up here, but it is a difficult argument to follow. It is almost, you're kind of like looking at this going, I mean, you couldn't have come up with something easier than this? But he makes this argument, and I'm going to give you the bullet points of what he's saying, and then as we read it, you'll, you can kind of interpret it ahead of time. I'm going to give you the bullet points to interpret it ahead of time instead of trying to come back behind it. So here's the argument he's going to make as we, as we read through the scripture. He starts like this. The promise made to Abraham takes precedent over the law of Moses because the promise to Abraham was made first. And he says it was made 430 years before the law of Moses comes in. So the promise takes precedent. The second argument he makes is the promise to Abraham was not only about land going to the descendants of Abraham. And then this is where his argument gets a little bit difficult to follow. He makes a big deal over when, whenever in the Hebrew it talks about Abraham and your seed. And this is where it's hard in English because English seed can be plural or singular. I'm going to go seed the field. It's even a verb. Uh, it's always singular when he talks to Abraham. And this is kind of, this is what's, it's interesting. It is always singular in the Hebrew. He talks about Abraham and your seed, singular. The, the difficult thing about it is that he talks about the seed time and time and time again to Abraham. He talks about the seed taking the land, the seed doing these things. And it's always singular, but it seems like he's talking about descendants, plural, taking the land. Paul makes a big deal over this being singular. And what is kind of interesting is, and I haven't gone deep enough into this to say definitively, but for example, when he uses the same word for seed to talk to Noah and his descendants, the descendants of Noah, it is plural. And yet when he talks to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, it is singular. So Paul makes a big deal about this. The only issue I have with this, this, this argument that he makes is that all, every time Abraham and his descendants are talked about, it's always singular. And does that make sense? To Paul, it does. And then he says, the law was put into place to guide the people and to teach the people about their need for something more. 
And then the law was put into place by mediators. This is kind of an interesting argument he makes. It was put into place by mediators, those mediators being angels, Moses. But because Christ is God among us, there is nothing that stands between us. When we see Christ, we see God. When we hear Christ, we hear God. When Jesus teaches and says to us, you've heard it said, but now I tell you, you're hearing this from God himself. It's not coming through a mediator. It's coming straight from God. And then he says, therefore, he represents God perfectly. If the law then couldn't, could have made us righteous, then we wouldn't need the Christ. He says, if the law could have made us righteous, there's no reason for Christ to come. So it can't make us righteous. That's why Christ had to come. And what the law really does is show us our need for Christ. And in our showing us our need, it leads us to Christ. And now that we have Christ, the need for the law ends. And then this is where he reaches this crescendo where he says, now all people of all backgrounds, be they Jewish, be they Gentile, be they slave, be they free, be they male, be they female, all people of all backgrounds can all come to God and by faith be saved. So now let's read this passage. It says, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. So now he's talking about human covenant being a contract. So he's actually arguing this like a lawyer, that this contract cannot be changed. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Singular. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant or the contract previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the established, well, I'm sorry, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it, the promise, to Abraham through a promise. The inheritance, I'm sorry. What then is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels and by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. So starting in verse 24, he kind of comes out of the weeds of this very convoluted argument. And he starts to kind of come back to a place where we can kind of gra grasp him. And this is important. So the law, what was the purpose of the law? The law was put into place was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, 
we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Confusing little passage, huh? And I think, again, don't want to sound like I'm a blasphemer, but there are times when Paul writes things and I'm just like, wow, couldn't there be an easier way to get to, the, get to your point? And, uh, you know, I, I often remember that, you know, Paul, when he's writing these letters, he didn't know he's writing the New Testament. He was writing letters. And sometimes I think that if he'd known that he was writing what was going to be scripture, I, he may have become you know, paralyzed by, you know, the understanding the awesomeness of that. But he makes these arguments. And I think when you go back like to Acts chapter 14, you get a sense that these were arguments, especially this one about the Abraham and the seed being singular. I am sure without having been there, so I'm as sure as I can be, that these aren't new arguments, that he made these arguments when he was in Galatia and he argued these things. He argued Abraham. As the, as the one to look to, because he does it in Romans, he does it in Galatia, in the letters to the Galatians. I believe the, the Apostle Paul, these are arguments that we're sort of, we're just kind of seeing a little bit of. We're not hearing the fullness of everything he meant to say in there, because he doesn't write it all again. But we know from Acts 14 that he was in Iconium, which was the place that had a lot of Jewish resistance. He was there for a long time. It says Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. And this is in Iconium, after the place that they had gotten pushback from the Jews in that area. Speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And you can see it, that this wasn't an easy sell. The people in the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And there's a plot among the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. So... It was a difficult sell. And what we're hearing Paul talk about here is a bit of what he's talking about. But I think for us to understand what is the point of the law, I tell a little story about my kids' first dog. When my kids were young, they wanted to have a dog. I didn't really want a dog. Dogs are a lot of work. But my kids wanted a dog. So we got, so my son and I, we went to the, we went to the, uh, animal shelter to find a dog. And we found this cute little dog, his name, and we named him Tux, Tuxedo, because he was black and he had a little white stripe down the middle. So we called him Tux. And he was a friendly little guy. Don't know why he ended up in the animal shelter. At the time, I didn't know why. I think I kind of figured it out later. Because while he was all friendly and all that, I took him to the park one day. The kids were in school. I was going to try and you know, train him a little bit. And we had this park where the dogs could run free. And I took him off his leash. And Tux ran and never looked back. And he ran and he ran and he ran. And I'm watching him just tear across this park. And there's this river that ran next to the city. And that had all these uh, bushes, these wild bushes. And he, without ever looking back over his shoulder once, 
disappears into the bushes, and all I can see are the bushes wiggling as he just runs further and further and further and further. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just lost my kid's dog. So I go running after him, and this dog ran with never looking back for about 45 minutes, and I had to track him. And by the time I found him, he was tired, and I was angry. And I grabbed him and put him back on the leash. And he was like, what? What? You know, so I'm taking him back to the car. You know, stupid dog. And so then I thought, well, I got to train this dog. This is probably why he was in the, in the animal shelter. You know, he was a runner. He was a nice little dog, but he was a runner. As soon as you took him off the leash, there was something in his brain that went click and just run. No looking back. No looking back. You could call him, no looking back. And so we had this big field behind the church. And I had to start trying to train him because I didn't want my kids to lose their dog. We couldn't even keep him off a leash in the backyard of our house because he would just start to run and look for any way out of the fence. And then as soon as he got free, straight running, no looking back. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I took him to the church, this big, big uh, empty space behind the church. And I would do all kinds of different things to try and get him back. I like, wouldn't feed him in the morning, and then I'd take him back and say, hey, here's food, but you can only come with me. I'd let him go straight running, no looking back. And this went on for like several months, and it was very, very frustrating. And the only way I could get him to the park or to the church is I had to have him on this leash. He had to be controlled. But over time, and it took a long time, he began to... Enjoy the freedom with some responsibility. I could get him to the park or to the, the empty field behind the church. Let him go. He would run. But after a while, when I would call him, he would learn to stop and look back. And I could call him. He'd come back and give him food. But it took a long time. I mean, it took years to get this dog to do it. Finally, my parents bribed him with hamburgers when he came to Germany. And and uh, he started coming back. He also put on a ton of weight, but at least he wasn't running this far. But it kind of is this reminder. He, but in spite of all that, he could never be off the leash while we walked to the park. He just couldn't do it. His, his little brain just would get overloaded. And even though we were, we, he knew we were going to the park where he could run free, and I had, I had had a dog when I was growing up, I could just walk with it. And it would always be obedient. Oh, this is not this dog. He always had to be on the leash. And in a way, that's kind of what the law is. I know a lot of you, your culture is to be compared to a dog is a great insult. I don't mean to insult you in this way. But the law is like a leash. You know, God has freedom for us, and he had freedom for us. He had a place he wanted humanity to go, a place where they were no longer constrained by a law, but rather they chose to follow God by relationship. But the only way to get to that, that place where we were allowed to enjoy that freedom, we had to be on that leash till we could get to that park of grace and of faith. And then once we were let loose by our relationship with Christ to run free, to have spiritual freedom, we still have to be responsible. And this is where we're at today. It's not like being out from under the law means we get to go, oh, do whatever we want. And, but that is how some people uh, interpret it. Sin with abundance, so God's grace flows in abundance. And that is not what this is about. It's about 
being responsible because you have a relationship, not a constraint. It's like doing the right thing. He, he compared, the Apostle Paul compares it that the law has us in a prison, that we are confined and we can't go and just do whatever we want because if we are out of that prison, we don't have the responsibility, we don't have the relationship, we don't understand God, we've not been transformed enough to act responsibly outside that law. But once we are in this relationship with God and we begin to mature spiritually, begin to grow spiritually, then our character changes. And as our character changes by being in relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, then we can live within this freedom with responsibility. And in this freedom, by living in it with responsibility, we can thrive in that freedom. And this is really where it comes back to us as believers. You know, as Christians, we have this place of freedom given to us through Christ. But the question always comes back to is, you know, are we accountable to that? And how do we live in that? We're not under a law anymore, but we are in a relationship. And just like if any of you have been married or you are married or you're in a relationship with someone, you're accountable to that person. You can't just abuse that relationship and expect it to stay healthy. And yet a lot of Christians they don't really consider their relationship with God. They, are, they actually kind of consider it a bit of a law. I'm under this, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Observe these rituals, don't observe that. Go observe these days, don't observe this. And we find ourselves back under a law instead of a relationship. And then when we put ourselves under these laws, what we do is we abdicate spiritual growth. We abdicate maturity in place of a law which says do this, do that. And it does the thinking for you. It does the relating for you. And that doesn't take you anywhere. It just leaves you in a place of like a child. It leaves you in a spiritual prison. And it's not what Christ died for. And so the challenge for us is then we are accountable with how we live in this grace and freedom provided to us by Christ. So how do you live in that? How do you live in that? And when we talk to people around us about Christianity and they say, you know, why do I need Christ? It's like, well, if you want to be able to be in a relationship with your creator that transforms you more into being like he wants you to be. And if you want to be able to walk with a place of rightness and freedom with God, then you need to know who he is and who he is is most perfectly manifest to us. In Jesus Christ, the very character and nature of God made flesh, the logos made flesh, the word made flesh. And by having our faith in him, we now walk in this place of responsibility through relationship, not through a law. And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about. And really, this is how one of the amazing things about IBCD is that there's a, this, this verse holds a particular power in this church here. When it says this, now that faith has come. That faith being in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. It's not as though the law has been kicked out the door. It's not though the law has been proven evil. The Apostle Paul wants to make sure we understand that the law comes from God. It's not evil. But it has fulfilled its purpose because Christ has come. And then he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And he means that you're all sons of God in the sense that we all have the inheritance of a son. Be you Jew or Greek. Be you a slave or free. Be you male or female. 
Back in the day, certain people didn't get inheritance. Females did not get an inheritance. Slaves did not get an inheritance. The Greeks, the Gentiles, had no sense of an inheritance, of a spiritual inheritance. So it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, remember, baptism means to be immersed into him. We express that through believer's baptism. But in the spiritual sense, you immerse your life into Christ, die to self, so that Christ becomes the one that lives in you. Those of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You're covered in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Interesting here, he also uses the the singular. You're his seed and heirs to the promise. Why are we his seed, even though there's many of us here? Because we're all found in Christ, in the one. She says, oh, so what? Well, this is kind of one of those times when you go through the scriptures and, and, you know, it's kind of, this is sort of the deep learning stuff. And it's not too often you're going to go into a colleague or, or to a friend that doesn't know Christ and, and get into all this with them. But you need to understand that we just don't have some willy-nilly thing that goes from uh, one, one faith, place of faith of following the law to the law no longer is there without any kind of steps in between. The law had a purpose. The whole scripture is talking about the purpose that God has for humanity. It focuses on the story of the people of Israel, but the ultimate, when it comes to its apex point where the Messiah is made known to the world, that is for everybody, all nations, all peoples. And everyone can have a relation with God. Everyone can be part of the chosen people of God if they choose to follow Christ. And this was a threat to some. And it was freedom and hope to others. Which is it for you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for, you know, you give us these. Your word uh, has some difficult passages, has some interesting passages, ways of thinking that we probably wouldn't choose ourselves. But that's kind of typical of a lot of how you act Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the freedom that you give us, that it's a freedom that comes with the responsibility of being in a relationship with you. And Lord, that we wouldn't just kind of run off or, and, and to not consider the fact that, you know, our freedom is found in you. And if we want to be truly free, then we need to know you more deeply. And God, that that would be a challenge for those of us who are believers, who are committed to growing in our faith, that that The more we know you, the more free we will become. And Lord, we also pray that it helps us to explain to others these things. So why does it mean being a Christian and following Christ in faith means that there's no rules at all? It's like, well, there's the rules of relationship. And God, that we can uh, explain it to the world around us that is thinks they already understand, have many of whom have already redefined Christianity to a place that's not biblical anymore. And Lord, also to explain it to those who are genuinely searching, who want to know their creator, not just to know him through stories, know him through through words, know him through rules, but to know him. And in that depth of knowledge, find the forgiveness and hope and the love and the grace that you have extended for us. God, help us to keep the good news of Christ 
clear and open to the world around us. Help us to not cover it up with our own sense of tradition and the things that we tend to put in, way, in the way of your word as human beings. Lord, we thank you and praise you. May we live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.